May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. By now, you've heard stories like this one. A cardiology fellow in New York City talks about the three stages of his emotional state as he has treated thousands of COVID-19 patients. At first, he says, there was excitement and fear. It was exciting to venture into unchartered territory, trying to figure out this virus, how best to treat it. But it was also scary because we could lose people we loved, we could lose our patients, even ourselves. The second phase he experienced was a hardening. When you are exposed over and over and over again, he says, to death, it becomes less scary and also somehow less real. There was a detachment, he says. Treatment was mechanical. Finally, things shifted at the ICU, and the ICU began to humanize its patients by asking family and friends to send in photographs, anecdotes, and even filling out an information sheet with life history and activities of the patient. The doctor says, I would go to check a ventilator, that routine task, and I would suddenly see the photograph of this patient up on the wall behind his head or her head, smiling at a barbecue or with children over by sprinklers in the yard. I'm caring for people again, he says. I'm living again. We live in this constant tension between the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death. Ordinarily, we might run from these twin realities. We deny them, we ignore them, we forget them, we overcome them, we try to buy our way out of them. But this year, this era of COVID, has brought these realities so much to the fore of our minds. We are aware of our mortality as a society like never before. And this is true for individuals, even those who may have gone through cancer treatments already or lost someone they love. It's different this time. It's different now. We are very aware right now that we can get sick. We can get sick, you and I, and even die. And in the midst of all that comes Ash Wednesday. Instead of letting us run away, Ash Wednesday keeps us tethered to these twin realities, the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death. It gives us a day to reflect on our mortality. It gives us a day to name and face these realities and how much better to do so as a worshiping community together this evening than in a hospital bedroom or facing a dire diagnosis. So as we make this reflection together, I want you to imagine your life as a scarf, the kind of thing you've been wearing probably in this cold weather we've been having. One end of the scarf is your baptism. The other end is your death. 
and Ash Wednesday pinches the scarf together, bringing both ends close, almost touching. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, we say. Remember that you are baptized, and you are mortal. One response to our mortality might be to throw up our hands and act as if nothing matters. It leads to hopelessness, cynicism, probably a lot of bad decisions, and we are not here for that this evening. That would be like having two unconnected scarves where one was your life and the other your death. But our living and our dying are connected. And surely the ashes that we normally use on Ash Wednesday are as, as a symbol of our mortality have something to do with this. Because instead of proclaiming that nothing matters, Ash Wednesday, and the ashes that we will sprinkle on later today, this evening, and where you will be praying about your mortality later this evening, surely those symbols, those moments have something to do with this connection between living and dying. And instead of proclaiming nothing matters, what they do is they proclaim that everything matters. Every moment of every day, every person, every part of creation, everything matters. Death gives life value. I don't mean that individual deaths aren't tragic. They are, each one of them in its own way. I mean, death more generally makes life a finite resource, and finite resources have infinite value. Endless life on earth would make it less valuable in some way. And so life matters. Our lives matter deeply and truly. And when we hold the baptism end of our scarf, we know this. Deep in our bones, our mortal bones, we know that our baptism brings us into God's love for us in a new way, an official way, a way that says, I matter, you matter, God matters. Our gospel for today, along with our other readings, often get us thinking about all of our sins, about what we've done and haven't done against God and our neighbor. In other words, gets us thinking about what's wrong in our lives. And certainly, we need to do that. I'm not diminishing that aspect of Ash Wednesday or of our Lenten season that is beginning. Indeed, we worry too much about what others think. We do turn our back on God and our neighbors and the rest of God's creation. We care too much about material goods and conventional notions of success. We fail to strive for justice and peace among all peoples. We fail to respect the dignity of every person. It's focusing on me before we. In that sense, we've taken hold of the wrong treasures, the ones where rust and moth 
consume. All true. The kind of scarf that you wear when you focus on that aspect of this season is one full of holes. It's one that's maybe a little dirty from that rust, holes from the moths. That's one kind of scarf. But that's not the scarf I'm talking about, the one with baptism at one end and death at the other. As we hold the ends of this scarf together, the scarf of our life, this is a scarf of beauty and joy knit together with love. When you're wearing that scarf, when you're holding that scarf, I want to invite you to think about what's right and good and true, even as we make our confession and enter into this penitential season. I invite you to think about your treasure. As the passage from Matthew says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This verse speaks to the present, where your treasure is today. Between the baptism end of the scarf and the death end of the scarf, there is a wonderful, beautiful life to live. There is treasure there. So I ask you, what is your treasure? What is of ultimate importance and infinite value to you? I'm talking about the real treasures in your life, the ones that make your heart sing, your faces light up, that brings your souls, our souls, closer to God. Relationships you couldn't live without, perhaps. Values that make you who you are. Balance in your work and life. Walks in the woods or prayer practices that bring you closer to God. I don't know what and who your treasures are, but I hope you do. It's easy to lose track of them. Maybe you have in this pandemic season. We get busy, we get distracted. Maybe sad or angry or wounded or afraid and we forget what really matters, or we take our treasures for granted. And sometimes, and especially now, I know many of us are just plain tired and out of sorts. But the treasures are still there. Maybe our practice this Lent is to re-treasure our treasures. Maybe it's to find anew how much you value them and then find a way to stop forgetting them or putting them to the side. Because reclaiming your treasure is a way to bring you back to yourself and to God. Like that doctor who slowly began to remember the humanity of his patients and how to care for them to get again, even how to live again. You can retreasure what is truly valuable to you. And then, when you open that scarf of life to wear it, with your baptism on one end and your death on the other, and the immortality of your life around the rest of the scarf, 
Know that that scarf will truly keep you warm and safe from the icy winds, the snowy weather outside. And it will speak in its beauty and its joy of God's love for you and the treasures of your heart. Amen.